Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. It's wonderful to see an accountant that is so passionate about not only her industry, but also the clients that she works with. Today, I'm talking to Dawn Brolin, who's the author of The Designated Motivator and is releasing a book in the same series, The Designated Motivator for Accountants, in the coming months. She uses her extensive experience in sport, softball in this case, to provide analogies for her clients and her staff to help them understand why it's so important to have the right people in the right seats on the bus going at the right speed in the right direction. Today, all the way from Wyndham, Connecticut, is Dawn Brolin. Dawn Brolin, it's fantastic to see you and you're looking very, very well. And we're trying to uh, perhaps remember when we might have seen each other in 3D. You have been around the accounting circuit for some time now. Tell me about, you know, your business and and we'll get into some, I think we've got some softball to talk about and all kinds of things. So I'm, thank you for joining us. I'm really looking forward to this hour with you. <laughs> Stuart, this is great. Anytime that I can participate in something that might help benefit somebody else, then I'm always in. And certainly Carbon's a great partner of mine to, you know, the great workflow tool and that has really streamlined my business. And so I certainly appreciate you guys as much as you might love to talk about what I'm doing, but. <laughs> No, no, let's make this about you, that's for sure. But um, why don't we dive into something interesting? My a funny story for you. My father, 20 or oh, a long time ago, was um, head of softball in Australia. So there you go. There's a, a fun fact for you. Fun fact. <laughs> Which is <laughs> softball is not a massive sport in Australia, although participation-wise it, it is, but uh, it's not a, an elite sport as much as perhaps it you know, it is in the home territory of America. So tell me about your involvement. You've got a little team going and, and all kinds of things. Let's start their way. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I do love this story probably more than most stories that I tell out there. But yeah, this was a, an interesting situation. So I played college softball, played sports my whole entire life, yeah. but in college played softball and won a national championship. And so that was an experience oh, of a lifetime. Wow. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, and it was it's a Division three college softball team. And we were just little itty bitty town, Willimantic, Connecticut. And it was a championship program, really, back when it first started. Right. So I met the current head coach was a former teammate. And so we were on the yeah. same national championship team together. And I've been obviously following and supporting the team since she's been te- coaching for 15, 16 years. Yeah. Anyway, we did our mutual coach, Jeff Anderson, passed away of testicular cancer right after we graduated. And so oh, okay. that was kind of a, you know, a, a terrible thing that had happened. And the family did start a, an award called the Jeff Anderson Award for people who are contributing to the program. And so we give that out every year. That's yeah. the kind of background of where this all started. Then it was 2018 and Diana and I were good friends and the family would give out the award every year, but they weren't able to make the game to be able to give out the award. So she said, hey, would you mind representing the family? And I'm still very close with the family. As a matter of fact, uh, Jeff's brother is one of my tax partners. There you go. (laughs) How everything just comes full circle. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so they were giving out this award and they said, hey, can you come represent the family? And I said, of course I will. I do go to games every once in a while. So I went. And then Diana says to me, she says, hey, you want to stay in the dugout for the game? And I was like, are you serious? (laughs) She was like, yeah, instead of going to sit in the stands, why don't you come and be in the dugout? Just like old times, right? 
I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in heaven. Now, now I don't know yeah, one of these yeah. kids. I don't know these kids from Adam. Just here I come and I'm coming in hot. So I just, you know. <laughs> a bit of support I, from Dawn. <laughs> oh, I just was in my glory. So, you know, I'm in there yeah, and yeah. we're cheering on the team and I'm psychotic. And there yes. was this one thing that my coach used to do is when we weren't hitting, he would take all the bats out of the bat holder thing and throw it all on the ground and use Visine and pretend to let the bats can't see the balls. And we, you know, <laughs> just this ridiculous display of craziness and kicking the bats and stuff like that. So I did that during the game because we were just like, didn't have it. It wasn't working. So ended up, I was just a crazy person. They ended up winning the doubleheader. Of course, I say that was my success. If anything, yes, of that's course, not of true. Course. It was the support, support that got him over the line. <laughs> it was the support. You know, of course, I joke about that. But yeah. I just had a really great time. And it just, you know, I left there and I was like, wow, that was so super fun and whatever. I just moved on with my life. So that fall, Coach Pepin says, hey, let's have breakfast, which we did frequently. You know, just every once in a while we have breakfast. And so she's like, hey, what do you think about coaching? And I'm mm, like, mm, mm. well, I've coached historically. As a matter of fact, after my coach passed away, I coached for two years because yes. I was so familiar with the kids. I was really more there as an emotional support more than anything. Sure. And I coached high school varsity basketball, loved that. So, you know, it's not like I hadn't been around it before. And I said, well, Pep, let me just ask you one question. You know, I'm a CPA, right? And you know, <laughs> softball's in the spring and you know, taxes are in the spring, right? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, like, how am I supposed to fit that in? And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, yeah. you know, let me think about it. Yeah. So a couple of days yeah. went by and I'm like, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. It sounds <laughs> like it would be just a great opportunity to get out of my office. And I own my own business. I Can't I do what I want? Right? That's supposed to be the idea, right? <laughs> I, apparently that's the concept that, you know, most yeah, of us yeah, are trying yeah, to follow. <laughs> And, you know, we find that people, that's the big restriction is like, okay, well, yeah. no, I work my 80 hours a week and I can't fit mm. anything else in and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's no law, in case anyone's wondering. There's no law <laughs> that says you have to work 80 hours a week, right? Yeah. So I said to her, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do it. I'm going to do the best I can. So I'm a volunteer. So I'll do the best I can. I'll come as much as I can. And we'll go from there. She's like, I'll take it. That sounds great. Because she was like, just wanted my energy. Sure, sure. So I get there, you know, first practice and I'm intimidated. I mean, these are, you know, they're 18 to 22 year old athletes. Yeah, they're good sports people. Yeah. They're good players. They're athletes. And what do I have to offer? I go to the first, I'm not trying to drag out the story, but no, it's just no, a you fun go. story. That's good. It's good. So we go to the first meeting, the team meeting. It was in January before the season's preseason starts and everything. And they're like, goal meeting. What are we going to do this year? Right, okay. Well, the previous we were in, year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're doing a goal meeting. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah. Previous year, they were less than 500 team. They were just couldn't get it together, not really being greatly successful from the winning area or probably anything else. They graduated one kid, brought the whole rest of the team back, and a great freshman class that came in. And they're like, what's our goal? Well, you know what? Let's try to hit like 600. Yeah, right. Let's try to win 60% of our games. And yeah. I looked around, and I'm like, I'm in the wrong room. This can't be... <laughs> I look at Pepin and I'm like, is this the team you meant you want me to coach with? You want me to take my time away from my business, come coach these kids who want to be a 600 team? I'm in the wrong room. I don't think that's going to work. You know, we're just kind of giggling. And I just stood up and I went, whoa, I know none of you know who I am, but I tell you what we're not going to do is go for a 600 game winning season. Yeah. We're going to national tournament. Yeah. What are you talking about? And they were just like, they were like, didn't even know what to do with me. So it took a couple weeks, and mm. I have the bag here with me. They gave me my bag tag. Yeah. And they said to me, here's your bag tag, coach. And you'll notice on the bag tag, if yeah. you can see it. It'll, it'll focus in a it. sec. Give it a sec. Here it goes. There it is. Assistant head coach, designated motivator. There you go. <laughs> 
So this is a piece of paper that I laminate that I put on here and laminated because underneath this it said volunteer coach. Yeah, right. Underneath that piece of paper that I created, <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I'm not a volunteer. It's not how that's not the name you're giving me. And it took me a couple of weeks to realize what my role was and my job was. It wasn't to be technical. Mm. It wasn't to teach technique. It wasn't there to yeah, you know, understand all the rules. To sort of know the skills, right. right? Yeah. So I decided I was the designated motivator. And I came up with that back in 2019. And that was my mm. role. And at the end of the day, to make a long story short, ended up third in the country. Oh, well done. Congrats. <laughs> and so the whole point of the position of a designated motivator, whether it's in a, your firm, mm. on a team, in your mm. family, in your church, in your friend group, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. When you have somebody who can actually look into the soul of some a person mm. and be like, listen, do you understand the potential you have in whatever it is that you're pursuing? Yeah. And to take that and have it be an intentional transformation with someone that's where everything goes at a whole different warp speed. Yep. Right? Yep. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wrote that book because I saw the effect of what a designated motivator, not Don Brolin, what a mm. designated motivator can do for an organization. I said, this is a thing. Yeah. And it's not motivational speaking. It's not, <laughs> that's what people think of when you say a motivator. Oh, they're yeah. a motivational speaker. No, because you know, and listen, amen to the motivational speakers. They change lives and that's awesome. But what this <laughs> make is a more about doing it, some of them, too. <laughs> and they do, and you know they should because they're out there putting yeah. their heart and soul into it, and I love that. But the difference between a motivational speaker and a designated motivator is that one-on-one -on -one intentional transformation that you kind of infuse into a person, mm. and then mm. once you can get them to be like, okay, I can kind of step out of my comfort zone a little bit, and maybe take a push a little bit further, maybe another push a little bit further. Maybe somebody who's been an accountant with a degree wanted to be a CPA, and they've never gone after that because they feel whatever they feel about it. I could tell you standing here right now, I'm a representation of somebody who can't memorize anything, never can be <laughs> honest. Don't send me a script to memorize. It's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. for people who give that, you know, start to have these boundaries up, well, I can't do this because of this. And whatever yeah. the this is, isn't a thing. And that's what we're trying to do. So I've got a question for you, Dawn. So I've got two questions, actually. Which area is easier to motivate in? Is it sports or business, do you think? I would say it's probably easier in sports. Hmm. I think that athletes have a natural internal drive. Hmm that sometimes just needs a fire to be lit underneath it. But for the most part, yeah. most athletes are pretty competitive. They're A-type personality typically, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Where in business, it's more like, oh, well, the accounting industry, we've, you know, listen, Brolin, relax. You know, we're yeah, supposed yeah, to sit yeah, down. Yeah, settle down. <laughs> settle down, girl, <laughs> which I totally get. You know, it's the, yeah. put the suit on, sit in front of the client, I have to be educated in Where's your cardigan with this. elbow patches? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my little pocket protector? Put that on. My yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And that is the stereotype. Yeah, well, it, it's a stereotype for a reason. <laughs> Hello to our audience, <laughs> of course. And I thought, and I tend to agree, I think sports would be easier, not that I'm a motivational speaker or designated motivator like you are, but doing and in being involved in more and more leadership, you know, we're a company of what are we now, readers, 75, 80 people. There's, that is a transition and part of leadership is motivation. It is mm -hmm. the reason I thought you might sort of go that way and sports is a bit easier because finding 
people's motivation at work to me is can be a complex process you know to find motivation in sports it's not as straightforward as perhaps you know you could easily make it out to be oh well, we want to win right right but in business what i find is people on the surface think oh well, it's okay people just want to make money right mm. but it's not the case it's not the case no, it's not. everybody in our company is motivated slightly differently. Every member of the senior leadership team is motivated slightly different. Every accountant is motivated slightly differently to the next, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But what I do find in talking to people like you, and, and I'll, I shouldn't sort of give away the game, but in all our discussions, the common thread that we're finding is that accountants just love helping their clients become successful. They love helping people. And they would have made really shit nurses and firemen. Yeah, (laughs) that's totally fair. (laughs) (laughs) And so they've become accountants too. And they do, they genuinely, and I I get it, I get it, I completely get it because we love seeing our customers successful, people like you, Dawn, become successful, and they love helping their clients become successful. So there you go. That's a long way of asking how do you find the motivation in the people that you work with in business to get to their inner core, to look into their soul, as you just said, and say, what motivates you? What drives you? What kind of questions do you ask? How do you get to that answer? Sure. Well, definitely number one is ask the question. Yeah, Call me crazy, (laughs) right? What are the types of things you like to do? You know, are you somebody who, you know, I thrive off of working 60 hours a week. You know, I laugh about that sometimes. People are like, I wore the badge that I worked 80 hours last week. Well, that shouldn't be your goal, man. Your goal should be, I want to get 10 tax returns done, which is going to equate to 15 grand. And I can do that in 20 hours and I can get out of the office and go do something fun. But I think really it's asking the question to your employees. I have one, my executive assistant, Tracy, who's absolutely phenomenal. I call her mama. She's just amazing person. Her motivation isn't money. Her motivation is she loves to interact with the clients. She's a people person. She's a people pleaser. She loves that, but that's not necessarily her motivation for what she's doing. Her motivation is to have some extra money that she just, whatever, she can do whatever she wants with, but she wants to have flexibility. That's her goal is if I can work because I like to work, I like to keep my head in the game, blah, blah, blah. You know, she may not necessarily financially need to be working, you know, maybe, maybe not. Her motivation is I love to work with people, but I don't want to be tied down for 40 hours a week. I need the flexibility to say, Hey, I'll work typically 20 And she's accomplishing everything she needs to do. But her motivation is, listen, I'm just going to get my work done so I can get out of the office and go do something else, right? And so understanding that some people are, listen, I'm a single mom or I'm a single dad and I'm trying to put my kid through school or I'm trying to do this. Okay, so I understand the motivation for that person is going to be, okay, how do I set up a commission structure so that I know when that person is successful and getting their job done, that they're going to get paid more because they're Mm -hmm. driven by being able to support their family. Right. And so there's a difference between those two objectives for those two separate employees. So it's hard to do a global motivation plan for the entire company, because like you said, everybody's different, but you'll have pools of people. Oh, I like to make money. So let me work as much as I want. And how can I make more money? Like I'll do it. Or the, Hey, listen, I just want to get my work done so I can get out. I want to go to all my kids' ball games, whatever that may be. Right. But it's also the why, like you can ask the question, but Uh, it's really... It's the why, then the why, then the, it's like usually often it's four or five questions deep, right? right? Like you really get into the meaning of why people 
enjoy the work. And ultimately, like there's been various sort of people over the journey that we've been involved in the industry that are like, come back to your purpose and quit, sit down with your partners that you might have been with for sort of 15, 20 years and go, what, you know, why are we here? Right. Why are we doing what we're doing? Do we still enjoy it? Do we still even like each other? Right. And that's caused partnerships to break up. It's, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of carnage that that asking real deliberate hard questions can cause, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's a great segue to, you know, if you don't mind me segueing on your go, show. Go, go, go for uh, it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm do. one of those people. You do the but, segues. Uh, You're better at them. <laughs> I, no, I don't know about that. But it's interesting because so I wrote that book, The Designated Motivator, to define the characteristics of a designated motivator. But right now I'm working on the book, The Designated Motivator for Accounting Professionals. And in that book, the number one and first thing you have to do from a firm perspective, which makes sense to be transitioning that into each of your staff. So, but it starts at the firm level. And then once you do that, you should be reaching out to the different staff. But I have what I call a firm assessment. And it's basically saying step one, right? Obviously is what's your why? Why are you doing this? Yeah, why bother? Why do this? (laughs) Right? And I love the logic. Of accounting. Yeah. <laughs> I love lucky. the strategy, right? It's logical, <laughs> it's strategic, it's yeah. got some flexibility in there reasonably. And so it's something that I can wrap my brain around. But you've got to, so I, why? Well, I knew when I was 16, I wanted to be an accountant. Well, why? Because it was logical. Why? Because it made sense and I could actually get everything to balance out. And I was like, I don't want to be hypothetical for the most part. I want to be factual and yeah. whatever. Yeah. But so you sit there and you get your why, but then there's so much more that has to come after that. Things like, mm. I have this, like the triangle of success of sorts. It's like, okay, name your three top clients. And when they call you, you're like, oh, Sherry's calling me. Awesome. What's going on today with Sherry? How's yeah. everything going? Yeah. What are they and buying then, today? So you, <laughs> what's good today? And so yeah. those are your three people, those three clients that you can define and say, I love those three clients. And then you say, why? And then, so you say, why those three clients? And then you put down, you know what? I love doing this type of work for them. They're always positive or whatever. They don't care about, they don't even ask for a bill. They just say, charge me. Like they see your value. There's all these components. And then you do this triangle of shame over here, (laughs) right? And you've got those three clients that when they call you, you are just like, please, yeah. Someone get a knife out <laughs> immediately. I got to yeah, stick I'm, it in my I'm, eye. I'm at lunch. It's only 9.30, but I'm at lunch. Yeah. I, I'm at lunch. I get hungry early. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. When you, right? So when you define that, when you say three yeses, three noes, and you know the yeah. services you're providing that you don't like versus you do like or what, it ends up being a little bit of a web to figure out, okay, we sure. didn't like these clients for these reasons, even though we were doing the stuff we love to do for them, they just yeah. weren't nice people. And there are people like what that. And that's, well, they're not going to fit where you want to take the firm, right? Like It's not. And that's the whole thing. Once you define that whole firm purpose, why, workflow, you know, people just go out. I know I did. I'll give you, I mean, 1999, I was like, I'm a bookkeeper. Bang, done. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. will do. That's all it. right. I am <laughs> kind of being, we'll just say, bleep this out. All right, listen, <laughs> I will do anything for money type of thing. I guess I can say yeah. it nicely that way. Yeah. And that's how a lot of us start. Instead of what a successful plan would have been, first of all, having a plan, but second of all, being like, I'm really good at this stuff. I really like this stuff. And when somebody would come to me and say, hey, you want to do my sales tax? I'm like, eh, I don't want to do sales tax. But instead it was like, yes, it's money. Yeah. I'll do it. And that's kind of what happens, unfortunately. Yeah, of course. And that grows out of control. Yeah, sure. 
But it, it goes further than that, right? Because mm-hmm. particularly post-COVID, well, eventually, whenever that's going to be, yeah. you know, you, <laughs> let's not get into the politics of it. That, that's another oh, podcast. God, no. But um, <laughs> the why or the firm's purpose becomes more important because there's always been a war of talent, I know, in accounting, and people aren't talking about it as much at the moment, mm. but I think that'll come back. I think it'll come back with a vengeance because all of a sudden the firms that were so-called virtual but more or less just didn't have an office, you know, now yeah. everybody's virtual, right? Like yep. everybody can work. So what's going to differentiate your firm? Why turn up to work for me? Not just because you're going to pay five grand more or 10 grand more. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, but that that only lasts so long. It's like, okay, well, first rule of client attraction is we don't have clients that are dickheads, right? Like Right. You know, the people. <laughs> rule number one. Rule number one. I've met with accountants, like the people have left accounting firms because they get stuck with the asshole at the end of the phone that's yelling at them at Friday afternoon. Yep. That they need something done by Monday morning, knowing that they go back 25 years with the partner and the partner will make it get done. And like, that's the last straw, right? So, mm-hmm. anyway, the point of that rant is the best accounting firms and a lot of them are carbon clients, you go to their mm-hmm. website and you immediately see why they do what they do. We love helping pubs and hotels. We love helping veterinarians. We love helping, there was this, and you might have a comment on this, but there was this sort of trend towards, you say niches, we say niches, call them industry <laughs> segments or whatever. And COVID kind of perhaps undid that a bit because those accountants that were focused on HOSPO and retail sort of really copped it, right? So mm-hmm. there's an advantage to diversification a bit, but right. the benefit of that was, okay, you know, we understand your business. You're a retail business. You're a cafe. We get margins on plates. We understand POS systems that do table bookings and all that kind of stuff. Like right. that to me as a cafe owner is really beneficial. Let's Absolutely. not get into the niche niche argument. But <laughs> the point is like, Accountants have to, well, I think, you know, really double down and and keep asking themselves, why are we here? Why get up every day? And -hmm. if they can articulate that really clearly to their customers, their clients and their staff, those are the ones that become successful. Their margins improve, their systems get better, and you've got something to sort of base it in. Anyway, there you go. No, it's totally true. (laughs) Well, no, and that makes total sense. It's one of the things is like, okay, listen, I want to be an industry leader in tax representation. I want to be an industry leader in fraud representation. I want to do Whatever those kinds of things. Whatever floats right? Right? And that's the thing. It's like, you can't be good at everything. You know, we no, say that no, all the no. time. You can't. You can't be good at everything. So again, if you're taking that assessment and saying, these are the things I love to do for a service. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are the things I have to do to support that. Or these mm-hmm. are the things that actually are so not related at all to what I love to do. Why are yeah. you still doing them? Get rid of that work. And what I found is partner, not partner, like legally partner, but refer, find some referral people who are like, listen, I don't want to do bookkeeping. So I'm going to outsource it to this company or I don't do taxes. So I'm going to outsource it to this firm and and have that simply do whatever. Oh, payroll. I I mean, I use ADP, man, exclusively. I don't want to deal with that stuff. I don't want to deal with the changes in the payroll laws because no. But what you can do is partner with other practitioners and say, listen, oh, like, okay, a friend of mine, Sean Duncan, he's a great practitioner. He turned me on, if you will, to another practitioner who 100% deals with the employee retention credit. 
I don't want to get into that's a payroll service. I've never even heard of the employee retention credit. <laughs> the employee retention credit. I don't want to deal with that calculation and deal with payroll. So he yeah. referred me, a practitioner that I don't even refer stuff to, we're just having to be colleagues, connects me with this other guy. And yeah. it's like, yeah. that's doing work and being efficient and doing the things that you love to do and not, I mean, I know for myself when I take on stuff I don't love, I have sleepless nights. I'm like, why did I say I would do that? And then you procrastinate on it. It doesn't it get done on time. Well. And then, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It and just does. We've talked a little bit about this with some others, but I'll ask you too. I reckon, again, postcode, whatever that's going to be, but that I think we'll see, continue to see a, an uptick in MA, those smaller sort of, call it boutique, you know, say, you mm-hmm. know, firms of five to 25, five to 50. Yep seeing benefit in being part of a bigger group, right? Like mm-hmm. they're good at what they do. That might be advisory and bookkeeping and management accounting, CAS, if you want to call it that kind of accounting services. Perhaps yeah. they don't do tax. Perhaps they don't do audit. And if they're cloud first, they've been doing cloud for sort of probably 10 years now maybe. And these bigger firms need, they need to be told how to do cloud for a start. They need to be taught how to do to cloud first. So they go and buy these firms who see the greater value in the bigger good, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, the, right. the bigger value in the greater good, I should say. So we've seen a little bit of it. I think it'll continue to pick up. What do you think about that? Oh, there's no doubt. You're also seeing another trend that we're seeing. I've been paying a lot of attention to social media. Our corporate big firm people are like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to go out yeah, on my I'm own. Over I'm, it, right? <laughs> I'm seeing more of that than I've ever seen where people are like, really? I'm done with this whole corporate crap. I'm out. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go on my yeah. own. Help me get started. And there's a, a ton of Facebook groups out there that I really like the Facebooks or go on LinkedIn, find some groups there where you're like, hey, I'm just ready to make a change. So you're right. Yeah, right. I mean- So I'll give you an example. So I have two tax Mm. partners, right? But they're not part of Powerful Accounting. We have our own firm called Anderson, Brolin, and Coba. That's the three of our last names. Pretty simple. Yeah, (laughs) just spend all night coming up with that one. (laughs) We are not rocket science, right? Although the ABCs seem to work out really perfectly. Oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Right? On accident. But we decided that we were three individual firms, all tax preparers, and yeah. we wanted, number one, to have the ability to have quality control or collaboration in the event of more complicated tax return and maybe somebody else knows something about whatever. Yeah. And I've taught them how to move into the cloud and, and how to operate as yep. a full base. Use a mouse based. and all that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And we split costs. <laughs> we do all that we decided. And that's, I see maybe some of that happening. We still bill our own. So yep. we don't collect money. Everybody collects their own money. Everybody yep. runs their own firm. I have three employees. They have one to collectively. And it's yep. like, but we're still able to operate as a CPA firm together where it's, you're not out there by yourself. Yep. And so that, from a tax perspective, that's how I position myself. And then yeah. from a bookkeeping perspective, I do a lot of referrals to out-of-the-box technology. They're out of Michigan. And they have people across oh. the country doing bookkeeping and working with clients yep. and doing a lot of that that type of work. And then I do the tax returns. And it works out. You know, It's a great relationship. I don't want to do bookkeeping services anymore. I mean, I have... A couple of people that do some bookkeeping, but not like that's not the majority. Our firm's probably 10% bookkeeping from a revenue perspective. And I think you're right. There's going to be a lot of collaboration. And without collaboration, you could be left behind just being all by yourself. Yeah. How is Denise? She's awesome. Denise and Lisa are great. (laughs) Yeah, they're great people. And uh, we just decided that, hey, they don't want to do tax. I don't want to do bookkeeping. And let's just refer 
back and forth. And it's been a great relationship, a great support. I get a client and I'm like, your books are a wreck. And I'm like, I'm certainly not going to do it. Hey, yeah. Denise, here you go. Here's a referral. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go fix Send it. them back when they're ready. It's kind of like yeah, having yeah, grandkids. Three months, so I get it. <laughs> it's like having grandkids. You can right? spoil them when you've got them. <laughs> yeah. And then you send them back to mom and let them clean them up and put them to bed. I don't want to do that part. Right. I'm, sa- yeah. I'm not saying that's the equivalent, but it's no, okay. no, no. I get it. But, yeah. I get it. I get it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you know this better than anybody, but like there's not a huge benefit sitting all the way at the end of the workflow, getting a whole lot of crap books to do a tax return. It's like, well, this is a mess. There's nothing I can do with yeah. it. I'm going to send it straight back and see you next yeah. year type thing. <laughs> exactly. And it's been a great relationship from that perspective. And the clients appreciate it because I tell them, I'm like, you can pay me to do it, but it's going to cost you a fortune. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or you can yeah, send it back. Know, do what yeah. you want, want to be doing, right? Exactly. Tell me about your uh, sort of campaign against fraud and fraud risk in small business. How did you get into that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I do a lot of IRS representation work. And in IRS representation work, obviously, if they're in a criminal investigation with the IRS, that's fraud. It's tax fraud, right? It's a form of fraud. Yeah, yeah. And so as I was doing a so lot when you of say, that. when you say a- representation, you're representing the client against the IRS because they're, they're doing an audit or something? Correct. That's correct. Yeah, right. And how I started that, actually, in 2011, I left a partnership and I started back on my own. And this wonderful, awesome opportunity came right before I left that firm. And I actually was on the side of the IRS, which was interesting. It was a a referral from Intuit. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully hopefully it was well paid. The government pays you well, sure. (laughs) They did. It was great. But the experience that I had to help, as a matter of fact, sorry, everybody, I kind of taught them how to make it work. Kind of <laughs> you fault. know, I went in there as the QuickBooks expert because that was one of the defense's claim was that QuickBooks broke it, blah, 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 whatever, which was a bunch of yeah. junk. But I just sure. had so much fun. Like I testified, I got to stand up in court and I got to yeah, right. put a PowerPoint together and I was like in charge of the courtroom. I, I was all in. And yeah, it's a really yeah. one good little sidebar. The judge was this really old lady. It was since passed, just yeah. wonderful judge, sweet. Somebody's great grandma. And she would sit in the chair and I would be talking and talking to the jury and this and that. And every once in a while, she'd fall asleep. (laughs) I know accounting's boring. And this judge was bored. And so I think it was just, we kind of flew into her nap time, I think. But I would look at the jurors and I would be, and I, (laughs) right. And I would just kind of glance over. And if she was kind of nodding off, I just would talk really loud. Yeah, of course. Except she would kind of like wake up and I was, you know. I think the jury appreciated that. Got got a lot of laughs out of that one. But I love that. And then the IRS representation and the digging into details. And this has to make sense. So why is this so off? And like just doing that process made me say, hey, wait a minute. I want to do the same thing in the small business fraud arena. Yeah. Started to read the report to the nations by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and reading the impact of occupational fraud with small businesses is atrocious. Yeah, right. The book, you know, the classic story of the bookkeeper stealing payroll taxes. Well, guess what? It still happens today. I bet, I bet. Why is that still happening? Why are payroll taxes in the hands of anyone other than a compliant-driven organization like ADP, for instance, right? Like, how are you that fiduciary responsibility? So I realized that fight against fraud for me was, number one, I'm a small business owner, mm-hmm. right? And so somebody stealing from me could be some shovels involved. I don't know. But the investment of t- <laughs> <Some> big- <laughs> shovels, you know. Some big ones, yeah. Some big shovels. <laughs> but, you know, I built my business and I sacrificed. I have two daughters. They're 13 months apart. When they were one and two is when I started my practice. I think they were actually zero and one. And 
the time that I sacrificed and the money and the, mm. the education and mm. all the stuff that I went through and sacrificed for my family, every single business owner is doing that to their family. Yeah. And so I have a real hard, passionate drive to help small businesses implement technology solutions a lot of times. I yeah. mean, back in the day, internal controls for small business, what? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Those cost thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to implement. Well, yeah. it's not like that anymore. No. So to have these accounts payable is one of the biggest, right? So having accounts payable fraud, we can eliminate that with approval processes yeah. and, and actual data capture and invoice capturing. So we can minimize, we can never eliminate it, but sure. we can minimize if somebody the risk really that a wants small to steal, business owner. It's, it's, there's still ways and means. They're going right? to steal. <laughs> yeah. But, right. But if you can put as many barriers yeah. in the way Make of the opportunity, than, of course, harder the, than it otherwise could be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because we know the fraud triangle. It's rationalization, opportunity, right? And pressure. And so if we can eliminate the opportunity factor yeah. as much as we can or minimize yeah. that, the other yeah. two you can't do anything about. Sure. The pressure you can't change and the rationalization you can't change, but the opportunity you can minimize the risk of opportunity. Yeah. If you take and away so my the, passion the behind, cash off the desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take the blank checks with the stamp on yeah, it off the right. desk. <laughs> yeah. And then like, remove the opportunity checks? as much as possible. That makes complete sense. And yeah. I think yeah. what I'm hearing you say is like a lot of small business, a lot of family business, their business is often <laughs> lasts longer than their marriages. And, and <laughs> that's true. Sad. <laughs> Maybe that's because of it. But anyway, don't worry too much about that for today. But so like <laughs> you've raised your family, you've raised your business sometimes in conjunction and, and you might be 10 years into and growing equity and things are going well and somebody can come along and take that away for their own selfish purposes very quickly. And, and mm -hmm. so you're creating resources for people to try and reduce the likelihood or the risk of having fraud in your business by the payroll person or by any employee who has access to anybody, to the anything means to which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stealing equipment, stealing, well, or, or misrepresenting your business. And there's all mm. kinds of right. things that undo what are otherwise perfectly good businesses, right? Right. Yeah. Side commissions. That's hard deals. enough in this world. <laughs> you know. It really is. And it's just something where it's kind of like see something, say something, mm. or real simple prevention measure for a restaurant, for example, is to put a camera up above the cash register. Yeah, and you know what? It actually doesn't even have to work. You exactly. just have to have a red light yeah. that says that it's working. <laughs> yeah. It's so, a deterrent, right? It is, more yeah. than anything. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's more about the awareness and that the more of the practitioner, bookkeepers, it doesn't matter what level you're at. It doesn't matter if you're the king of the world or yeah. what doesn't matter. We all still kind of have the responsibility of, of course, not detecting fraud. That's never been a responsibility of ours, but certainly minimizing the risk for it. The conversation we have to have a little bit more mm. when it comes to application implementation. A lot of times we're like, oh, efficiency. Ah, it might not always be about efficiency. It might be about security and, yeah. and protection of the process. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's particularly, I mean, in the accounting industry, like the services businesses, so much harder than things like our software business. I mean, you know, we don't have to sort of have the, as long as the software is working, you know, we can produce an outcome. You guys in services have exactly. got to have the right people with the right equipment, with the right data at the right time and the right place in order to produce right. a, an outcome that the customer is arguably, there's a lot more that can go wrong in that process. <laughs> well, it's the darn human that gets involved. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's problem. right. We try and take the <laughs> humans out. <laughs> Except for, the, except for the, the podcast, we still need us for the podcast. <laughs> Otherwise, the machines can do it all. 
I don't know. Somebody's probably inventing a podcast host in AI, right? Like, can't be that far off. Oh, no doubt. (laughs) Somebody's doing it. Yeah, yeah. And a passion of mine is going to make a leap here, and I think it's one of yours too, is the operational technology stack in our business but also in firms. Like, let's talk a bit broadly. Like, do you think that there's been, yeah, I'm going a bit rhetorical here, since the sort of, you know, the browser-based ledger, the QBOs, the zeros of the world. Do you think there's been a heap of innovation in the accounting industry in the last sort of 10, 15 years? Oh, it's been amazing. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's been a fire hose. Oh, good. That's good. what it's been. It's a fire hose of information and solutions. What are some of your favorites? Well, I have a, and I don't know if you know this, but the book coming out is what I call the starting lineup. Okay. And so yep. there's a starting lineup of applications. Here's the whole methodology behind having a starting lineup. Every firm should have a starting lineup. Yeah. And what they have to do is define the positions on their team. And of course, I relate all of it to softball because that's where my yeah, yeah, whole yeah. motivation well, stems from. A, but it's reasonably globally applicable too. Yeah. Baseball, <laughs> people know baseball, softball, whatever. Same yeah. but different, definitely. <laughs> but you know, having this tech stack of players Yep. I need a workflow management. If yep. I'm a tax preparer, I need tax software. Yep. I need document storage. Yep. I need an inventory management system if I'm retail. I yep. need, so I have, they're called positions. Yep. And then when you understand the positions, which they're all the same, by the way, everybody. Yep. If you're an accounting firm, <laughs> you got the same positions, man. Yeah. Yep. And then once you get the positions down, now you have to find your players. Yeah. So who's going to play those positions the best? Yeah, yeah. So we have a successful team a successful lineup, and we can win a national championship every single tax season. Yeah, right. But hit above six hundred. And so right? definitely above six hundred. <laughs> I would hope because you, you know at the end of the day, if you don't have a full lineup card, let's just say you we're going to leave out the first baseman because that yeah. I don't want to pay for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, who's oh, going to yeah, catch the go. ball when it comes to them? Like, hello. Yeah. Like yeah. you cannot win a game. Every position matters, and that's like the whole other philosophy of between sports and how sports relates to business. Yeah. Yep. is that every position plays a critical and key role. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're warming up the pitcher in the dugout. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're just a pinch runner. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're just a pinch hitter. It doesn't yep. matter, yep. right? You're just as important, you know, in every firm, every accounting firm, you're as strong as your weakest link. Yep. Yep. So if you have processes that you have not solved for, positions that have not been filled in your starting lineup, that's why you may be, the 600 team and not the batting a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's reality. Yeah. So from my perspective, like for me, my tech stack is pretty simple, right? And it's on dawnbrolin.com. If anyone wants it, you can go on <laughs> dawnbrolin.com and you can grab my starting lineup. And I also put the workflow, how they all integrate with each other because integration is critical. Yeah. Right. So I'm using carbon for my workflow management because carbon works with assert. Yep. And Carbon works with Lysio. Yep. And Carbon works with SmartVault. Yep. So I use, okay, so we'll back up. I use Lysert <laughs> for my tax software. I use SmartVault for my document storage. I use DocuSign for my e-signatures. And there's yep. reasons why I have that flow. I take Lysert, print it to SmartVault. I go into the SmartVault. I send through the connected desktop, the e-signatures. And when the people sign it, it goes right back into SmartVault. I never touch it. Yeah. I never touch anything. Yeah. And that workflow is great for me. So from a tax perspective, and then Lacert is updating carbon as far as what the tax statuses yep. are. So yep. anyone in the firm can see it anytime. I mean, it's just, hello. I actually don't even have to have a brain anymore. My computer <laughs> systems are running everything. I just sit there. No. That's the ultimate, right? <laughs> That's the ultimate. So if I have carbon and I have Lysio to be able to do client communications, which does communicate with carbon, 
Lysio, of course, working with QBO. So any yep. new clients, I use Quotient for all my quoting software. Yep. I know that there's Practice Ignition is also yep. another great solution. I've not necessarily checked that out, but I love Quotient. Send a quote, they approve it, they accept the engagement, you push the invoice into QuickBooks, done, process payment, everybody's happy. Yep. There's lots of butterflies and stars <laughs> and happiness in the firm. And then, and then, then, then you all know, you, so need, you to got, need is a sales and marketing engine to sell, go and attract more clientele, right? And that's what Keep does. And yeah, so yeah. Keep handles all of that lead gen, if you will, and things like that. And then here's the thing that people sometimes will forget. So that's like the core of the powerful accounting starting lineup for the most part. That's the core group of technologies that we utilize. Yep. There's other things like right now we use tax help software, which is a transcript pulling software. Yep. So there's some ancillary, sure. again, maybe a pinch hitter. That's what tax yeah. help software is like a pinch hitter, <laughs> right? Or we have pinch runners. Like So my clients, my clients have a different need of apps. They yep. have a different lineup, but your clients have to have a starting lineup just as much as you do. Yep. They're just going to have some different positions to fill. Yep. So if you have a retail client, they need inventory management. Yep. So you've got to have an image that you trust that has great support so you don't be the support. We recommend Fishbowl. Yeah, yeah. Hand it off and walk away, which is what I want to yeah. do. I don't want to manage inventory. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of the philosophy that I have. This is a starting lineup. If you don't have a starting lineup, you're going to bat 600 and it's going to be a crappy year. Your players are going to be pissed, including your staff and your clients. Everyone's going to be sad. We don't want that. And with COVID, the impact of COVID. We were talking about software that accountants use for a start. And then we started sort of talking about software that you put into your customer base and your client base. Let's talk about that a little bit because, first of all, how many apps do you reckon you work with across your client portfolio? You know, it's a funny question because I was thinking about that earlier. I was thinking about, wow, just the number of apps that we seem to be, you know, participating in, even whether they're running our practice or not running our practice. And then certainly the apps that the clients are using is even more broad expanded yeah. because of what they offer whether they're a retail yeah. store or they're a manufacturer or they're a contractor so they're all using so many different applications and it's hard to kind of standardize one company mm. and say okay everyone should be a cookie cutter everybody's mm. doing the same exact applications that's like virtually impossible yeah. but at the same time i would say you know from a number of applications we probably interact with between 30 and 40 on a fairly oh, regular okay. that's, basis that's not too bad it's not, you know, but <laughs> you, you know, we try to guide them, you know, and say, hey, listen, yeah, yeah. we're using this application and it's working really well. So I know you were using that. We're going to move you over to, for instance, QBO. Like you're yep. on this other fresh books or some other yep. thing that we don't participate in. And, and so yep. we move them. We streamline as much as we can. At least if the GL is the same then you've got half a chance. <laughs> exactly. Can we start with the accounting being right? Yeah, yeah. Start with, start with that bit first. Here's my theory. What do you think? The general ledger in, well, at least in Western civilization, is becoming obfuscated and more or less a part of business systems that business people actually don't have to touch. And here's why. There's so much software in the world that we even feel it, you know, building software for accountants, that you're going to find software that for your business, right? Whether you're a if you're a car repair shop, there's there's six or seven for you. If you're a SaaS business, there's hundreds for you. If you're a, a hairdresser, there's probably hundreds for you. And so you're managing your business in this specialized application for you. And it's up to that application to then sort of plug into the GL. 
as a hairdresser, I don't need to go into the GL for payments. I don't need to go into the GL for AR. I don't really, well, I mean, sometimes I need to know how much is in the bank. But as long as I know I've got some cash to pay the payroll, in America, you know, you don't even go to the GL to pay your payroll, right? Like you're in your gustos or right. your ADPs or whatever. It's a bit different in the Southern Hemisphere. But there you go. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, over the course of time, we used to try to jam AR and all those things into mm. the accounting software. Like we tried yeah, to that's right. jam yeah, scheduling. How are we going to do yeah. that? We do workarounds yeah. for every stinking thing. We were the workaround kings and queens of the world. And now with the variety of technology that's out there, we can have a client do their invoicing through, let's just say, maybe Melio. So they do their yeah. invoicing or bill.com or whatever they're doing it through. We use Zora and for us. Exactly. I mean, there's a billion different yeah. applications, yeah. Invoice Sherpa, things like that, where yeah. people can just, just live in their invoicing software because that's they're the salespeople. They never yeah. have to touch the GL, ever, ever, yeah. ever. And no. that's a good thing. I reckon. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, keep those people out of there. Yeah, that's right. Keep people like me out of there. <laughs> You know what me and you, God knows what happens, right? So, and then all we do is like a, I mean, it's now a big journal, but, uh, you know, there's a journal from your business software of choice every month and that goes into the general ledger and you guys, the accountants, look after that and we're a bit more sophisticated. Well, you know, we do international consolidation of four entities and all that kind of stuff, but the actual workhorse of your application is the industry application of choice. And I guess Absolutely. that was the argument for building verticals in your accounting company, right, in your accounting firm. It's like, well, I'm going to service hairdressers and veterinarians all my life. Yeah. And- <laughs> they both cut hair. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a weird mix. But anyway, roll, roll with it for me. And, um, you know, then you as a firm get to know the applications in those verticals and the people in those verticals and you participate in the distribution, you go to markets a bit easier and all of that kind of thing. So, but as we were talking about before, you can get sort of your subject to global pandemics and issues in those industries that you choose. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, think about it. If you're choosing an industry that basically got shut down, like restaurants, a lot of restaurants got, Mm. you know, just had to close doors. And you're trying to do accounting for that and trying to get them PPP loans and you're doing all this stuff. And mm. really, at the end of the day, you used to go in and look at the register tape. Like some people actually yeah, still do yeah. that. They have the well. manual registers and there's various reasons for that, yeah. in my opinion. But go for it. Do your thing. Cash only. Mm. Pay as cash only. There's, you know, this gets a little bit of skeptical <laughs> concern well, there. If you want to do accounting in the, in, in the cash only businesses. <laughs> There's yeah, you might want to reconsider your career. In life. You, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, reconsider. Just stop. Or your lifestyle choices, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> stop, drop, and roll is kind of what I would say to that yeah. kind of a situation. Yeah. But certainly, yeah, you think yeah, about yeah. like restaurants and the special applications that they need to run an ordering system on top mm. of, you know, so customer or sitting there on the table. Now we've got the QR code and you pull the menu up on your phone. You can even order from your phone. You don't even really have to interact with a waitress at this point. They just bring no. in the food, no. a server, yeah. I guess. I What do they call them? But anyway, but they require, you know. Well, that, certain- that'll be a thing of the past too with robotics. and <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm so, all of a sudden this robot will come over and bring you your plate. That's but- it. So, but you are, you're finding software that solves for the purpose and the general direction of the business. And so if they're still Mm. using a manual register and manual tickets, some people like that. Some people don't like Mm. that. So you're taking a chance Mm. either way, but you've got to just be prepared and you have to try to advise your clients as best you can. Yep. Yep. Where do you fall on the spectrum of staffing and resources? You know, so pre-pandemic, we know that the 
number one issue for firms was hiring, attracting and retaining great talent. Yes. I think it's sort of that discussion seems to have sort of dissipated a little bit through the pandemic. I'm sure it'll come back with a vengeance as hopefully we restore to a tiny bit of normality. But there's certainly remote first firms and have been for some time. There's The pandemic has certainly increased that trend and allowed people to work from home and travel, well, not travel the world, but certainly (laughs) travel some part, you know, a bit of flexibility, right, to their their location or the geography. I've heard firms sort of starting to talk about not only remote first, but any country. Mm. Like if you're, you you know, in, in our situation here, if you're US trained or if you're home country trained in accounting, it doesn't matter whether you're in Chattanooga or Columbia. Yeah, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Yeah, we're we are a hundred percent virtual. I could pick up not yeah, this right. book because that thing seems to suck, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I could get a new one and grab that and take <laughs> off and work from anywhere. And some of the the benefits of that is certainly different time zones and being able to cover a more yep. broad base of customers because you're not just mm. like for me right now. I'm in the summer mode, so I'm ten to four at best. And so Good. that's just what we're doing. But if we had somebody on the West Coast, then that would cover another three hours of the day. Across yep. the country, you've got people working, quote unquote, overnight, if you will, yep. in other yep. countries. So I think that that opens up a whole new world of opportunity, really. And I mean, yes, I've been virtual first for forever. for Well, since I yep. say 2011. Yep. That's close enough forever. Close enough for forever. <laughs> yeah, it's, a de- it's a decade anyway. It's way longer than I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> so How true. does that affect your client base? You know, what does your client geography and, and industry look like? All across the United States. So we're Eastern, mm. Central, Mountain Pacific, which I don't understand any of that. You know, I always tell my people when they want to meet with me, it's Eastern time because otherwise I'm not going to make it because I won't I'll be able to <laughs> yeah, interpret. Right. I can't do that. I can't <laughs> subtract one from my, my Let time alone zones. three. <laughs> Let alone three. Like, don't get crazy. <laughs> And so, yeah, so we're 100% virtual. We can do anything from anywhere. Our client base, for the most part, likes that ability for them to be in contact with us, mm. even if I'm not in the office. We're, yep. We've just actually introduced Lysio to be able to communicate yeah, yeah. through an app, which is better because I don't want them having my cell phone number any. Those days yeah. of having my cell phone number have to go. It's like, because yep. I want to be able to shut it off when I want to. But at the same time, if I'm not in the office, I want to be able to answer somebody's email or a text or something like that and be able to keep that conversation moving. You know, maybe I'm throwing the ball back in their court. So I love that. And so they enjoy the ability to have that flexible access. As far as our industry types, we really kind of run the gamut. We're not really industry-specific niched. We're more entity, I would say, entity structures. So dealing with different entities and making sure people are in the right entity. So we service restaurants. We've got a couple of great restaurants out of Pittsburgh. We have a lot of contractors. We have people who are other kinds, types of service providers, whether they're a VA themselves or they're doing something where they're getting a 1099. So for the most part, we're kind of entertained, but we know I don't do any international no international. That's just not my wheelhouse. Yeah. Big like private equity firms and things like that who have mm. come to me for that. And I'm like, no, that's like not my expertise. So I would yep. say we're primarily service-based businesses, contractors, plumbers, electricians, family all businesses. Those yeah. And restaurants is kind of yep. the, we, and retail are easy because we point to sales systems and stuff, but we just yep. don't industry niche really. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's interesting to sort of see the, the change over the years. Accountants, like dentists, you know, used to serve the local community, right? And right. 
And, uh, the, the, you know, the dentist might not be able to sort of expand too far into time zones, but <laughs> accountants sort of, I don't know whether there's a concept of go to market or a, or a, or a right. business development <laughs> function in accounting yet, maybe one day, maybe one day, but yeah. certainly opened up to being able to service client base from outside your county at least. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's interesting you say that because I think I might have, I'll say 15 local businesses that I interact mm, with yeah. that come in the office and things like that. I actually had a, a young lady who just started a, a cool little breakfast food truck and Ooh. my car repair guy introduced me to her and said, oh, you want a great accountant? This is your used one you should use. She came in the office and just a nice young lady who's just out there. She's got great vision and really working hard. And I said, you know, I told her our fees. This is what we charge. And I told her right straight to her face. I said, listen, Hannah, here's the deal, kid. We are the most expensive firm in the area. We are yeah. the most expensive. You yeah. would not offend me in any way, shape or form to, you know, I don't say shop around, but go see if maybe there's something a little more affordable. And she said, you know what? I want the people who are in the forefront of the technology. I don't care what it costs. I know I'm going to get what I pay for. And That's she great. just had that mentality. But, you know, honestly, in my local area, not everybody has that mentality of, well, I know sure, I'm going to get what sure. I pay for. And they're just more yep. focused on the cost than they are the value. But this kid of was course. like all about it. So that allows people from across the country to say, I want to go for after somebody who is giving me that value I'm looking for. I understand they're yep. probably the more expensive firm that there is, but I know they're in the forefront of technology. They're watching webinars and participating in webinars and learning all the time, which is what we're doing, right? And yep. so people are yep. willing to pay for value. They just are. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the the commonality in your client base, I'm sure, is it might not be vertical or industry or anything like that, but it's people that are looking for a forward-thinking, progressive accountant that is looking to help them operationalize their business through technology and people that are trying to make a difference in the world and serve their customers well and contribute to society. Absolutely. At the end of the day, I mean, that's that's the whole purpose. I mean, yeah, we got to do balance yeah, sheets and P&Ls yeah. <laughs> and those are important and entity structures are important too, but how can we just help push them forward in the growth of their business as we're doing the same thing? Yeah. That's the great part of being a firm owner is that you yeah. own the firm, you run the firm, you're a business owner and entrepreneur just as much as your client is. Yeah. And I think that they have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And so, you know, the more the owner can be of the firm who is the one who's the thought leader typically can be involved with the client, the better for the client. Yeah, absolutely. Let's plug your book. You got a book coming out in October. <laughs> yeah, so this book here, this was the original book that I wrote, The Designated right. Motivator. And so I said, yep. you know, it's kind of like the chicken soup with the soul concept. And so we're going for the Designated <laughs> Motivator for accounting professionals. And, you know, we've yep. talked a bit, obviously, on this show so far, just about the, you know, having an assessment and taking a look at your firm and kind of revisiting mm, yes. and reimagining what you're going to do moving from here forward. And that you can't do the same thing you've always done most, I'd say a lot of firms are out an there. And expect a different result. Yeah, that's a little definition <laughs> that's insanity, of insanity. You know that. <laughs> Let's do it. So you see the firms that are out there and they're moving forward, but there are so many that are still struggling and just haven't figured it out yet. And the whole goal is to make that happen. And so I'm hoping that some of the guidance that's in that book can help people, again, reassess what their whole purpose, their why, as we talked about before, and how yeah. can we help yeah. them move forward. So yeah, so I'm super excited. I'll be at Scaling New Heights. We'll be doing a book signing there, oh, cool. a lot of fun oh. stuff. I got coloring books made so people, when they're in their classes, they're doodling. They can have, they can color. That's fun. You guys have a page in there, so they'll color in carbon. <laughs> it's my, oh, my nice. stack. 
Yeah, super fun. <laughs> we appreciate it. We'll colour it in black and purple, huh? There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Tiffany is that colour, is the oh. actual colour, is the formal name of that colour, do you know? Oh, it's called Tiffany. Okay. Yeah, it is. Fancy. It is. <laughs> Sounds like a really expensive yes. watch or expensive ring. Yes. <laughs> That's a jewelry company perhaps, out here. A bracelet. A bracelet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll work on my on my accent. Yes, yes, yes. Wonderful. <laughs> well, Dawn Brolin, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. We You've will uh, awesome. no doubt hopefully see you in person. If not at Scaling New Heights, then uh, as we get out into the world again, we'll catch up and have one of those wines. I would love that. That would be my honour. Thank you again so much for having me on. I just, Carbon's my people, man. Just saying. I've right. loved Ian for forever. Since the Intuit days, and he's doing amazing. We do things. too, most days. We do most, too. yeah. Don't you know? I don't want to, we don't want to pump him up too much. That's but, right. No, no, you know. don't do that because you'll never hear the end of it. Yeah. One little quick thing I do want to say though about Carmen. Yeah, yeah. What I yeah, do love, do. and I want to make sure people like just grab this message, is that when you decide to select an app and something that you're going to implement in your firm, make sure you're grabbing an app that is forward thinking and growing all the time. I log into my carbon on a regular basis and I see, <laughs> oh, we just had a new release. And then they tell you all the article about it and all this stuff. And if you don't see your application provider improving and growing, then they're probably going backwards because there's no such thing mm. as standing still. So just keep that in mind as you're making those selections. It's important. We appreciate that. We love building software for wonderful customers like you and hopefully make a little bit of a difference in the world. You bet. Great. Thanks so much, Stuart. <laughs> Cheers, Dawn. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.